for joining us as we hear an anointed word from Treasure Coast Victory Center. Okay, this will be week number six. Take your Bibles. Go to 3 John, verse 2. 3 John, end of your Bible before Revelations. Father, we thank you for this opportunity once again to speak your word. Lord, I thank you that your spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge is here tonight on each and every person here. Open their eyes of their understanding, Father. Help us to see the way that you see. Help us to live the way that you want us to live. Father, we thank you for the Holy Ghost on the inside of us. Spirit of God, teach us and lead us into all truth tonight. Set us more free than when we came in the door tonight through the word of God and through your spirit. We thank you for what you're going to do in our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right. If you've been here before, you know we've been studying about healing. We have found out that it's God's will for every single person, not only to be healed, but to live healed. Basically, their whole lifetime. Jesus went to the cross. He paid for it for us, and healing belongs to us. It takes your faith in what Jesus did in order to live in divine health. When he went to the cross, he bore our sins and our sicknesses on the cross. He basically was our substitute, and he took our sins and our sicknesses for us so that we would not have to bear them anymore. Here in 3 John chapter 2, it says, For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that was in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. Hallelujah. How many know the truth of the word of God is very important? All right, look at verse 2 again. Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Now, notice, God wants your soul to prosper. He wants you to be in health. He wants you to live above the world conditions. What you think of God and what you think of sickness and what you think of the world and what you think of everything matters in your life because all that is information that you have in your soul, which is your mind, your will, and emotions. Does God want you to be sick? Does he want you healed? Does he heal all? Does he heal some? What you believe about God, what you believe about the devil, what you believe about sickness, what you believe about the curse will determine whether your soul is prospering or not. Your soul will be prospering if it is in the truth or lined up with the truth. Some think God will heal, some think God might heal, some just don't even know what God wants to do. Well, it's important for you if you're going to walk in divine health that you know, praise God, and that your soul prospers by being full of the truth of God's word. All right, go to Exodus chapter 15. Last week we looked at some Old Testament scriptures that basically we had to explain in case you read them and others read them and basically think that God is the one putting sickness and disease on everyone. God is the one judging everyone. God is the one. So we went through those and explained those to you basically that whatever you allow in your life, God allows in your life because you have something called a free will to choose in your life. All right, Exodus 15, look at verse 26. And God said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, he will put or allow none of these diseases upon thee, which were brought upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord that does what? Healeth thee. We found out that Adam basically opened the door to the curse when he sinned. Sickness and disease and the curse came into the earth and affected mankind. The curse passed upon how many men? All mankind, and basically ruled over all mankind at one time. God gave man a protection, a covering, so that man could live above the curse. He told them if they would listen to the voice of the Lord their God and do what he says, it would cover them so the curse would not be able to come into their life. Then he introduced himself. He said, I am the Lord that what? Heals thee. So if you are sick, God wants you healed. If you are healed, God wants you to live healed. You need to be completely convinced that the Lord wants you healed in order to walk in divine health. Here the Lord introduces himself to over three million people. He says, I am the Lord that healeth thee. Notice, not just the Lord, but the Lord who heals you. He doesn't introduce himself as the smiter or the cursor or the punisher or the judge. He introduces himself as the Lord that healeth thee. All right, go to James chapter 1.
All right, James chapter 1, look at verse 6. It says, But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Notice that when it comes to healing or anything else in your life, you cannot waver between God's will and what his will might be and receive from God. You have to know what his will is. Because of wrong teaching, because of wrong doctrine and Old Testament believing, Christians basically waver in their souls when it comes to divine health. Thoughts come into your mind when you're under attack. Well, maybe God doesn't want to heal me. What do I have to do to get God to heal me this time? Why doesn't God heal me? God does not have to be convinced to be who he is. He said, he is the Lord that healeth thee. Now look at verse 7. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. It tells us a man who wavers should not think that he will receive anything of the Lord. The life of health is not based on opinions. It's not based on the latest prophecy you received. It's not based on Old Testament theology. It is based on the Word of God and your understanding of that Word, which brings truth to you. And when you know the truth, the truth will make you and keep you free. Hallelujah. All right, go to 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to look at a couple more Old Testament things that if you're just reading the Bible may shock you or may give you the wrong idea as far as who God is and about sickness and disease and about the curse. 1 Samuel 16. All right, let's just read through the whole thing first, then we'll backtrack and, and go through it. 1 Samuel 16, look at verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward, so Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servants said unto him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God troubles thee. Let our Lord now command thy servants which are before thee to seek out a man who is cunning player on a harp, and it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee that he shall play with his hand and thou shalt be well. And Saul said unto his servant, Provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. Now look at verse 23. And it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul that David took a harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and as well the evil spirit departed from him. All right, go back to verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of the brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose and went to Ramah. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Now, if you don't know about, much about Scripture, you don't know much about God, you're a new Christian, and all at once you read about the Spirit of the Lord leaving Saul, how many of you know it may enter into your mind that the Spirit of the Lord may leave you? I sinned yesterday. I wonder if the Spirit of the Lord left me. He left Saul when Saul sinned. Maybe he went someplace. Maybe he's gone. Oh, Lord, don't take your spirit from me. Have you ever heard anybody pray that? Don't take your spirit from me. I've heard people pray that. Now, why doesn't that line up with the Testament? Because the New Testament says that the Holy Spirit will abide with you how long? forever, that he will never leave you nor forsake you. So you know right there in the Old Testament, the Spirit came upon people, he left people, came upon people, but you're not in the Old Testament anymore. Say, thank God. You have the Spirit of the Lord on the inside of you. It don't matter. The Spirit of the Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. Hallelujah. All right. Verse 14 also says, an evil spirit from God troubled him. Now, was the evil spirit sent from the Lord? God used demon spirits did God give permission to this devil to attack him? Why did the evil spirit attack Saul? Why did he have a right to do that? All these thoughts will come to you when you read this kind of stuff. Well, Saul messed up and, and God sicked the devil on him, for goodness sakes. And when I mess up, um, devil's attacking me. God released the devil into my life. But notice, why did the devil or the spirit actually come upon him? Because it says the spirit of the Lord departed from him. How many know the spirit of the Lord is the anointing of God. The anointing breaks every single 
yoke. So while he was under the protection plan of the anointing of God, there was no evil spirits around because he was protected. Once the spirit left, the absence of the anointing equals bondage. So when he lost the spirit of God, what happened in that situation? God did not send the evil spirit. The evil spirit had a right to come into his life because of what he did. God does not use evil spirits, praise God, to teach his people or to judge his people or to correct his people. Put your finger there. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. All right, Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 26. It says, Be ye angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to who? The devil. Now here's God, what's he doing? He's saying, give no place to who? The devil. Now if God commands you to give no place to the devil, but then allows the devil place in your life, how is he going to be able to judge you for allowing the devil that he allowed in your life? Can't do it, can he? So you know God is not allowing the devil. He's commanding you. God is not a hypocrite. He does not command you to not let the devil in your life. Then he puts the devil into your life. He's on your side all the time. Saul basically had disobeyed God. He lied because he feared the people. And when he did, he did not obey God. He lost the Holy Spirit that was upon him, his protection that opened the door then to evil spirits that was broken, which was the anointing of God. God is totally against the devil having any place in your life, spirit, soul, body, marriage, finances, or family. The devil and all his works are anti-God. Sickness is a work of the devil. You are to give it no place in your life. Give no place to the devil in your body and also in your thought life. All right, go back to 1 Samuel 16. I wish I'd have put my finger there. All right, look at verse 15. And Saul's servants said unto him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God troubles thee. Let our Lord now command the servants which are before thee to seek out a man who is a cunning player on the harp, and it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, then he shall play with his hand, and thou shall be what? Well, so here's an evil spirit, basically that this tells you was sent by God to trouble him. They were told to call for a harp player to play so that the anointing would come through music, return and would break the yoke off of Saul's life. How many of you think praise and worship is important? Run into so many people. I just felt depressed Sunday morning, Pastor, so I skipped the praise and worship and just came for the word. Well, I wish you'd have came for praise and worship. It would have been a lot easier to get the word in you because you were depressed when you got there, praise God. No, the anointing break comes with praise and worship also. All right, look at verse 23. And it came to pass when the evil spirit from who? God was upon Saul that David took a harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well. And the evil spirit did what? Departed from him. So here in verse 23, the spirit of God basically left Then an evil spirit came on Saul, David played the harp, the anointing broke the yoke, the spirit departed. People say, well, through this scripture here, I just believe God uses the devil, but he also delivers people from the devil that he uses. Well, that makes God confused, don't it? And we don't want to serve a confused God, do we? So basically, God sends the Holy Ghost on Saul to be king. Saul disobeys, so God sends the devil on him. God then sends a harp player to play. Why? To deliver Saul from a demon that God sent on him in the first place. How many know that will screw up your doctrine? That's why people say God is in control. He's sovereign. He can put sickness on you if he wants to. He can heal you if he wants to. How many know that's not the truth? We have found out that God's will is always to heal. Some people say, well, I only want what God wants, and sometimes he puts the devil on you and makes you sick. Well, if you really believe that, then there's no sense in you going to the doctor to get well because you want to be in God's perfect will, and if his will is for you to have a devil and be sick, then why go get healed and get out of God's will when you want to stay in God's will? You should pray for more sickness so you get deeper into God's will if that's possible. It just shows how confusing and how stupid the thinking is on the line of healing and stuff like that. After all things, God wants you healed. 
Old Testament theology. Basically, God is responsible for every single thing that was taking place at that time because they knew very little about the devil. But God allowed the evil spirit on Saul because Saul had disobeyed God and allowed the spirit of God to lift off of him. God does not send demons to minister to the heirs of salvation. He uses what? Angels. Angels are sent, not demons. All right, go to 1 Kings 17. You're going to run into people who sit there in a prayer meeting with you sometime and are going to pray, please don't take your spirit from me. Please don't take your spirit. And you're going to say, no, he abides with you forever. And they're going to take you to that scripture and show you that he doesn't abide with you forever. And you're going to have to ask some answers. How many of you know that? You just can't say, well, I don't know why that's in there. Maybe that doesn't belong in there or something. I don't really know. If you're going to instruct people and grow them up, you're going to have to learn these things, praise God. All right, 1 Kings 17. All right, let's just read through this one first. Look at verse 8. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain you. This was a time of a famine. So he rose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks, and he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me also, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thy hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God lives, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in the cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat and die. I mean, you know, that's not a very good outlook. Verse 13, And Elijah said unto her, Fear not. Go and do as thou hast said, and make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat for many days." And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of God which he spake through Elijah. And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick, and his sickness was sore to him, that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and slay my son? And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of his bosom and carried him up to the loft where he abode and laid upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, thou hast also brought evil upon the widow whom I surjoined by slaying her son. And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come back into him. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house, delivered him to his mother, and Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in thy mouth in truth. Praise God. So there's a famine here in the land if you read the whole story. This woman and her son was in a hopeless situation. They were basically gathering sticks to get a fire. They were going to make a little cake. They were going to eat. And then what were they going to do? They were going to die. So in verse 13, basically God through Elijah steps in. He says, tells her what to do. She obeyed what happened and a miracle of provision took place. Supernatural food through the obedience to God's word. Now look at verse 17. And it came to pass after these things, how many know after the miracle, that the son of the woman of the mistress of the house fell sick, and his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. How many know that that means he probably died? And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? So in spite of the miracle, the son still died. Notice who she blamed. She blamed, first of all, the man of God, or God for the death of her son. God is a God of judgment, she thought. God is a God of punishment for her sins. Many Christians at funerals believe the same thing. 
If you've ever gone to a funeral someplace, I mean, people believe basically that God killed their little daughter, killed their uncle, killed their cousin, killed somebody else because all things work together for good for those who know God and are called according to his purpose. God is not in the killing business. He's in the delivering business. So she believed basically that God killed him. Now look at verse 19. And the prophet said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him to a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And he, the prophet, cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I surjoined by slaying her son? Notice, the man of God believed the same thing that the woman believed. That's why you've got to be careful. Prophets will prophesy over you according to their faith. And if they believe God's a killer, they will prophesy some God killing into your life. You must be smart enough to know the difference between what the Word says. Are you following me? So notice the prophet says, what would you do, God? I mean, you gave us a miracle, you did everything, and you killed my son. And what did God say? Nothing. Why? God doesn't answer stupidity. God doesn't answer stupid prayers. He doesn't do that. It doesn't happen. Hallelujah. All right, look at verse 19 and 20. Now I'll go up to verse 21. And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. Now how many know that's a better prayer than blaming God for something? And notice what happened. Verse 22, and the Lord did what? Heard his voice, praise God. Now that tells me the first prayer he prayed, God didn't even hear him. Now, how do we know that's true? Well, I'm glad you asked. Put your finger there and go to 1 John. 1 John chapter 5. Look at verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in God, that if we ask anything according to his will, what happens? He hears us. Okay, well, what happens if we ask something not in line with his will? Probably don't hear us. Verse 15. And if we know that he hears us, well, how are, we going to know if, how are you going to know if God hears you or not, Pastor Tom? You always say God hears you. Well, whenever I pray according to his will, it says right here that he hears me. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Very important in your prayer life. Just pray in line with God, in line with God's will, and you're guaranteed, number one, that he hears you. How many know that's important? And also that you will have whatever you prayed for in line with God's word. If you pray outside of God's word, basically it won't work for you. That's why the Bible tells you to whatsoever things you not, not desire, but every, whatever things you desire when you pray. When you pray, you're praying for things you desire in line with God's will. You shouldn't be praying things that you don't desire. Oh, Lord, I've been so sick. Oh, Lord, I've been so down. Oh, Lord, I'm just going to lose my house. I'm going to lose my car. I'm going to lose anything. Help me, Lord, in Jesus' name. I mean, you know, that's not going to work. It's not in line with God's will, and it's certainly not what you desire. All them things you're saying are the last thing you want to happen in your life. So the prophet finally got on board. All right, go back to First Kings. All right, verse 21, and he stretched himself upon the child three times, and he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come back into him. The Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. Hallelujah. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber in the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth, just like he was in faith the whole time. Is that the way people do? I believe in the whole time. Yes, sir, praise God. It was my faith that pulled him through Verse 24, and the woman said to Elijah, now by this I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in my mouth is true. Now, that just shows you that you can go through a miracle and still not believe God. I mean, the prophet came and said, you're going to die, just give me a little meal first. And if you do that, you're going to be able to eat forever. She obeyed him at work. She had a miracle. And two verses later, she didn't even know if he was from God or not. 
Why is that? Because you've got to base everything you do on the Word of God, not on what happens in your life, what doesn't happen in your life, what doesn't play, take place. So you read this whole story, and you, you're new in the thing, and you say, well, let's see. The famine came, and it was going to kill the son and the widow. But thank God God sends a prophet to them, and he sends it to save her son and save him. But then God decided to kill. Praise God. Just decided to kill this son because she had sinned. But then God, I guess, decided to raise him from the dead after he decided to kill him. What's, what's, your, what's your doctrine? Your doctrine is God's mixed up. You never know what God's going to do. He'll kill you. He'll heal you. He'll basically feed you. He'll starve you to death. He'll do whatever he does because God knows everything and he's very sovereign. But that's not the way it is once again. God is the healer. The devil is the oppressor. No matter what anyone thinks or teaches you or says, the woman saw God as a judge and a punisher. God does not use the devil in your life for anything. All right, go to Luke chapter 9. All right, Luke chapter 9, look at verse 1. And Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over how many devils? All devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to do what? Heal the sick. So here we see Jesus. He's got his disciples there. He gives them power and authority to his disciples over all devils. Basically, that means all the works of the devil were included, which is sickness and disease. Not one devil, but he gave it to them in all devils. Demons who try to enforce sickness basically are fallen angels. We have authority over each and every one of them because of the authority of Jesus Christ that we have. Now, why would God give his disciples authority over all demons if God was going to use some demons to teach us or to judge us? What good is it every time God uses a demon to teach you? If you cast the thing out, you'll never learn anything. How do I know which are destroying demons and which are teaching demons? Is that what discerning of spirits is all about and the gifts? No, it has nothing to do with it. And that's why people struggle in this area. You've got to understand that any attack that comes against your life is not of God. You can resist it with the authority that you have. If the devil through false doctrine can get you to believe that God uses him to teach you and grow you, you will never use the authority he's given you against the enemy. After Jesus gave his disciples all authority over all devils, how many of you know he probably expected them to use that authority that he gave them? Well, basically, you've been born again, and your authority has been re be restored. How many of you know that God probably expects you to use your authority in situations in your life when demon spirits come into your life? All right, go to Luke chapter 13. All right, Luke chapter 13, look at verse 11. I'll go back to verse 10. And Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years and was bowed together and could no wise straighten up. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day, and said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work. In them, therefore, come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. How many know the devil works on the Sabbath day? <laughs> Verse 15, The Lord then answered him and said, Thou hypocrite! Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox and his ass from the stall and lead him away watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound lo these 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed, and all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Here we see a woman basically who was bowed over who could not straighten up. Why was she bowed over? She was bowed over here because she had what? A spirit of infirmity. How many know that's not good? 
She's not a woman here who God had blessed, who God was teaching. It was a woman who Satan had bound for 18 years by a spirit of infirmity. The problem was she was under the dominion of the devil. In verse 16, it says, ought not. How many of you know that means she should have been? Ought not. She had a right to be loosed for 18 years, though. This woman was bowed over and bound by sickness and by disease the whole time in 18 years she had a right to be healed why because if you study the old testament even the old testament there was a covenant of healing in there and promises for healing in there so there's no reason for her to be sick for 18 years she could have been set free if she would have just knew it and used her authority to do it all right go to revelations 20 Been teaching on authority on Sunday, and we can teach, 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 and we teach, and we can teach. But if you don't use it, you're just really getting information and wasting your time, basically. Your life's going to stay the same. The devil's still going to be able to get in the same way that he used to get into with the lies in your mind and everything else. You're not casting down thoughts with the authority you have. You must do what you hear here in order to have a change in your life. You can sit here for 40 years under the Word of God and leave just the way that you came if you don't do what the Word of God says. Just like in the Old Testament, God always said, if you will diligently listen to my Word, if you do what I'm telling you to do, then no, no sickness will come upon you. How I many you know if you do that, then no sickness will come upon you. But if you don't, guess what happens? Sickness will come upon you. So doing the word is very, very important. All right, Revelations chapter 20. Look at verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night. How long? Forever and how long? And ever. All right, go up to chapter 21. Look at verse 4. This is after that happens, verse 4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are now passed away. So notice, once the devil is thrown into the lake of fire, there'll be no more sickness, there'll be no more crying, there'll be no more pain, there'll be no more disease, none of this stuff. Why is that? Because the one responsible for sickness and disease will be thrown into the lake of fire for ever praise God now if God was one of the sources of sickness and disease he would have to throw himself into the lake of fire in order to bring to pass verse 21 and 4 Hallelujah. But notice who the, who the one providing it. Who's the one responsible for it? It's the devil himself. When he goes in the lake of fire, there's going to be no more sickness, going to be no more disease. Everything's going to be, oh, happy day. Praise God. Hallelujah. All right, go to John 10. How'd you like to have that scripture wrote about you in the Bible? Just waiting your time. All right, John 10, 10, very familiar, but this is the dividing line between God and Satan, between evil and good. The thief comes not but for the reason to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come, talking about Jesus, that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Now, how many know sickness and disease doesn't give you life, don't give it to you more abundantly? Fear don't give you life more abundantly. Jesus came to give you those things through God, praise God. There's a clear separation between God and the devil. Don't let anybody try to confuse you on it, praise God. This is what it is. The devil comes to steal. Does he steal through sickness and disease? Sure he does. He steals your peace. He steals your joy. He take your money, praise God. Hallelujah, because he's a thief, basically. But now the Old Testament also has some confusion, basically, in its wording in a lot of different places. But it also has some good promises in the Old Testament that you can also use in your life. So we're not telling you to stay out of the Old Testament. We're telling you to read it with some wisdom and knowledge as you read it. All right, go to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Got to remember, the people in the Old Testament were dealt with by God basically by fear because they were not born again. In other words, whenever they stepped out of line, all hell broke loose, and they quickly got back in line simply because all hell broke loose. You know, when the ground opens up and half of you get 
sucked in the ground. How many know you're going to repent pretty quick when that time happens? Praise God. How did I repent? Yes, I feel, feel an urge to repent. Praise God. Hallelujah. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 7. Love this one here. Look at verse 15. And the Lord will take away from thee all sickness and will allow none of the evil diseases on Egypt which thou knowest upon thee, but will lay them upon all thine enemy that hate thee. Once again, he's offering the protection policy here. If you go back a verse, it says, Thou shall be blessed above all people. There shall none be male or female, barren among you or among your cattle. If you go all the way back to verse 12, Wherefore it shall come to pass if, say if, if you hearken to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord thy God shall keep the covenant with you. What comes multiplication, fruit, plentiness, your flocks will go forth, they will increase, all these things. But verse 15 says, if you do this, the Lord will take away from thee, what? How, how much sickness? Notice, all sickness will be removed from you if you simply hear, understand, and do the word of God. All right, go to Psalm 103. What about a cold? All sickness. What about a tummy ache? All sickness. We talked about at the beginning that you will prosper and be in health even as what? Your soul prospers. All right, Psalm 103, look at verse 1. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now, if you're going to forget, where are you going to forget? You're going to forget in your soul, aren't you? In other words, you're going to forget all about it. He says, hey, wake up. Don't forget well, these benefits. He forgives all thine iniquities, and he heals what? All thy diseases, every single one. He also redeems thy life from destruction. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy. He satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Hallelujah. Isn't that great? Don't matter how old you are, you can still be young. Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. But notice, he tells you to forget not. He wants you to have a prosperous soul. He wants you to understand in your mind, praise God, and forget not the benefits that belong. All right, go to Psalm 105. This is talking about the uh, Moses and the children of Israel who were in bondage for years and years and years, and it talks about, if you read about all the different things that came on the Egyptians that made them finally release them. In verse 37 it says, God brought them forth also out of Egypt with silver and with gold, and there was not one feeble, sick, weak person among their tribes. Now we know that there was a little over 3 million people basically who were in bondage for over 300 years. They were taskmasters, they were slaves, they were beaten, they were tired, they were weak. When God brought them out of bondage, there was not one, say not one, not one feeble, not one sick person among the entire thing there. But notice he also brought them forth with what? Silver and gold. Hallelujah. I mean, if you're going to be healed, you might as well be rich. So he brought them forth with silver and gold. He brought them forth. And then once again, this is Old Testament, isn't it? Now, if it's possible for God to bring forth three million people in the Old Testament, is it possible for people in a church of 80 to all be walking in divine health? I just got to believe it is. It's got to be easier than having 3 million people do it, praise God. So once again, every person there was healed. This is Old Testament. Go to Psalm 91. These are all Old Testament promises of living in divine health and living in healing. Yeah, we might as well start at the beginning. Everybody loves this psalm anyway. So, Look at verse 1. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress, my God, and in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver me from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with His feathers, and under His wings shall thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flies by day, nor for the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor for the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at thy side, ten thousand at thy right hand, and it shall not 
come upon thee. How many know that would be a witness? You got a thousand fallen dead over here, 10,000 other in your city, and you're still walking around, praise God, like nothing's even going wrong. Verse 7, a thousand shall fall at thy side, 10,000 at thy right hand, it shall not come near thee. Only with your eyes shall you behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come where? Nigh thy dwelling. Now that, that's a scripture for you and your family. That's a scripture to make sure the devil doesn't get in your house. Don't get on your kids. Don't get there someplace. Now, why is that? Look at verse 11. For God shall give the devil charge over thee. Now, if you believe that, you're in trouble. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. Notice there's angels also when you declare these things. Basically, this is telling you what to declare. Nor evil shall befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. A thousand may fall at my right hand, ten thousand, but it will not come near me. Praise God. Hallelujah. All right, Hebrews chapter 8. Bless you. All right, Hebrews 8, look at verse 6. But now, say now, but now has he, talking about Jesus, obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon what? Better promises. Now he's talking about the New Testament, which isn't in the blood of goats and bulls. It's in the blood of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is the mediator of that, and he says all the promises we just read in the Old Testament were good, but New Testament promises are even better than the ones that we read in the Old Testament. If God healed all in the Old Testament, if he took away all sickness in the Old Testament, if no evil, no plague shall come nigh your dwelling in the Old Testament, if three million slaves can be healed under the Old Covenant, the New Testament in Jesus' blood is better with better covenant and better promises for you than all can and should be healed. The new covenant is based on the blood of Jesus Christ. It's based on his performance, not yours, thank God. It's based on fulfilled promises, not future promises, thank God. Not hope promises, but yes and amen are the promises of God. Hallelujah. So what do you need to do? Look at verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with you at the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into your mind and write them into your heart and I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother say know the Lord for all shall know me from the least to the greatest what's it talking about a prosperous soul a soul that knows who God is knows what God wants know how God operates not blaming God for things in their life they know now once their soul is prospering so they can walk in health and prosper even as their soul prospers in their life all right go to Acts chapter 10 God heals all. No respecter of persons. Healing is for all, already provided. Acts chapter 10, look at verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Now we all know that Jesus is God in action. He is the will of God in action. Here it says Jesus healed how many? all and what was the matter with them they were oppressed of the devil now if God wanted some healed and some not then Jesus messed up because he healed all if God was trying to teach some people back in that day by putting the devil on them here comes along Jesus and messes up the father's plan praise God because he healed every single one if God was teaching some with sickness Jesus shortened their lesson Jesus did God's will everywhere he went. Here it says he healed all who were oppressed by the devil. All right, go to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to come to the place where somebody walks up and says, do you think God will heal me? Instead of saying, well, he can. Well, we'll give it a shot. We're simply going to say yes. 
Yes, he will heal you. Yes, he'll heal you right now. All right, Matthew chapter 4, look at verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those that were possessed with devils, those that were lunatic, those that had the palsy, and he healed them. Notice God's will, not only healing, but to teach and to preach and to heal all. Now, why is teaching and preaching important? Because faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. Here Jesus healed all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. It lists quite a few of them. No matter what sickness or disease or how long anyone has, Jesus has healed all. Possessed, lunatic, tormented, palsy. But notice teaching and preaching, sitting under the word, is a very important part of what you receive from God. All right, go up to Matthew chapter 9. All right, verse 35, Matthew 9, 35, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Once again, God's will, teach, preach, healed, healed every sickness, every disease. That shows you right there that basically Jesus only heals two kinds of sickness and disease. He heals all manner and every. All manner of disease and every disease. Every sickness and every disease. All right, go to Matthew chapter 8. Hi, Matthew chapter 8, look at verse 16. When the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. Here we see Jesus healing the sick once again. This time, how did he do it? He cast the spirits out, and when he did that, he healed all the sick. People say, well, I believe God heals some and not others, and how do you know who to pray for and who not? How do you know who God's going to heal and who's not going to heal? If it's not God's heal to heal this one, why should I pray for that person and waste my time if God don't want him healed anyway? God wants every single person healed, totally set free of all sickness and all disease. All right, go to Matthew chapter 12. If you can convince yourself that you're living in a state of healing you'll have an attitude to come against sickness and disease when it comes against you. If you're just down here existing and going along and all at once a symptom comes and all at once you're sick and then you're trying to get healed, it's a different story. But it's the same way with righteousness. Once you understand that you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ, you're naturally going to resist sin in your life because you're righteous and righteousness don't do sin. But if you think you're an old sinner saved by grace and sin comes along, well, you're just going to be an old sinner again and then I'm going to repent again and a sinner again. But the revelation of who you are and your identity will cause you to act differently in situations. In other words, if a symptom comes on, you say, oh my gosh, here I am, I'm sick again, I've got to pray to God to get healed. You've already stepped down from your place of healing that was provided for you. It was already provided for you by His stripes, ye were healed. So tonight I'm healed. Whether I look healed, feel healed, or whatever, I'm healed from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. What am I going to do? I am going to fight the good fight of faith if I have to, to hang on what belongs to me. I'm a prosperous person tonight. I'm not going to let the devil steal my finances. I'm going to keep the word of God in my mouth and proclaim to be prosperous, and I'm going to fight for what belongs to me. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. What am I going to do? I'm going to live righteously in right standing with God in every single area. So if somebody offers and comes along for sin, I don't do that. I'm the righteousness of God. Somebody comes along and offers something. I don't do that. I'm the righteousness of God. But if you don't believe you're the righteousness of God, then you're going to go ahead and do it and repent afterwards and expect God to do something for you. The Bible says, as he is, so are 
in this. See, everybody's waiting to die and go to heaven to get all these benefits. Well, when I get to heaven, I'll be healed. You're right, you will be. When I get to heaven, I won't sin anymore. Guaranteed. When I get to heaven, I'm going to have peace and joy. I'll bet you will, praise God. But that's not the deal. The deal is you were put down here to do a job right now, and you can live just like you were in heaven, but you can only do that if you stay on the Word of God 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and understand who you are in Christ. Your identity is a key. Jesus prayed that we'd all understand that we are one with Him and the Father. But most of the church want to fight that. They want to tell you that you're an old sinner side by grace and what a wretch I am and how terrible I am and Jesus is here and I'm down here and all this. That kind of thinking will keep you in bondage the rest of your life, praise God. It doesn't work for you. All right, Matthew chapter 12. Look at verse 14. Then the Pharisees went out and held a consul against Jesus how they might destroy him. You can see the Pharisees are really happy about all the healings and deliverances that Jesus was doing. They were really into signs, wonders, and miracles. Look at verse 15. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he did what? Healed them all. all. Say, healed them all. Now notice, Jesus is going around ministry, he's healing every single person, the Pharisees are getting mad, the devil comes to destroy him, the Pharisees come to destroy Jesus. Notice he didn't pout, the devil's after me. He didn't complain, oh, the devil's chasing me, they're talking ugly about me, this isn't fair, I'm just a good guy. What did he do? He retaliated. He healed all of the great multitude who followed him. Praise God, he was under attack, you know what he did? Attack! Praise God. Don't back up. Just keep going forward. You get a little sniffle and you're fighting it, go lay hands on about 45 people. The devil will run away after a little bit. Praise God. Come on, stay under attack. Don't fall back. Oh, somebody help me. Pray for me. Help me. Don't go into that victim attitude. Praise God. Stand up. Stick your chest out. Praise God. Put on your armor of God. Go cast the devil out of somebody. Praise God. Retaliate. That's what Jesus did. Hallelujah. If you read the Bible, you'll find out when Job the Baptist got his head cut off and the disciples came to Jesus and they had to give him the noose. I mean, you know, they, did, they were probably a little cautious about it. Oh, your cousin got his head chopped off, Jesus. And what does it say? Jesus went into the wilderness and healed every single person that he ran into. What did he do? He knew who he was, and he retaliated in every situation with the power of God that was on the inside of him. So God's will is to heal every single person, to heal all. Why is that? Because he is the Lord that healeth thee. Hallelujah. Praise God. Say, I'm healed from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. My days of sickness and disease, they are over forever. I live in righteousness, in peace, in joy, but in authority. I will not allow the devil any place in my mind, in my body, in my emotions, in my feelings. He will have no place in my life. Sickness and disease has been removed for my life. No evil shall befall me, neither shall any plague come near my dwelling, my church, my family, my relationship. Everybody I know will live free of sickness and disease in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. for listening. For more from Treasure Coast Victory Center, visit us at mytcbc.com.